You're listening to ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Hot Topics in Allergy, presented by the American College of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. Your host is Dr. Todd A. Marr, Director of Pediatric Allergy Immunology at Gunderson Lutheran Medical Center in La Crosse, Wisconsin. The term reflux comes from the Greek word meaning backflow, usually referring to the contents of the stomach. So here to discuss GERD and LPR with me is Dr. Clifford Bassett, Assistant Clinical Professor of Medicine and Otolaryngology, Long Island College Hospital, Faculty, NYU School of Medicine. Welcome, Dr. Bassett. Great to be with you. We all hear the terms GERD. We hear the terms LPR, LPRD. Can you define those for me? Absolutely. Gastroesophageal reflux disease, or GERD, is really an abnormal amount of acid reflux coming up through the lower sphincters and into the esophagus, causing that familiar heartburn and various GI-type symptoms. To contrast that, LPR, or laryngopharyngeal reflux disease, is when the reflux actually passes all the way up through the upper sphincter and into the back of the throat, reaching the larynx or the throat, voice box, and pharynx. And it creates many types of symptoms that are fundamentally different than GERD. So LPR is really not GERD. I've heard some people try to use those terms interchangeably. So you mentioned it, but let's talk about what are those differences? Again, it's important to understand the differences. An acid from the stomach comes up and enters the throat at the laryngopharynx. We call that LPR. Irritant changes occur in the larynx. And with GERD, again, the gastric contents are into the esophagus, leading to esophagitis, tissue damage, heartburn. So they have different symptoms. And the mechanisms are different. With LPR, typically we don't have a heartburn. 30 40% of the time you can have heartburn. 60 to 70% of the time it's less likely. Many people in the field feel that with LPR, people are what we call upright or daytime refluxers, as opposed to GERD, which many symptoms can be worse at night while sleeping, especially if they eat a heavy meal after 7 or 8 p.m. and have a variety of foods that are likely to be causing reflux, those refluxogenic foods such as peppermint, chocolate, tomato, caffeine, etc., that we all know and love. Are there actually some physical things that will lead to the etiology of LPR and GERD? Well, with LPR, certainly you can have other problems or concomitant problems such as a hiatal hernia. You can have abnormal contractions of the esophagus. You can have a reduced or slower emptying of the stomach. And we think it's a certain amount of improper functioning of the esophageal sphincters. So those are some of the physical features that can be part of the dietary or the asthma-related or even lifestyle-related triggers as we talked about. Irritants such as chocolate, caffeine, citrus, fatty food, spices, overeating, smoking, excessive alcohol consumption, of course, eating heavy meals late at night. And, uh, you know, many of us participate in a variety of these activities, you know, in eating the good stuff, so to speak, alcohol, wine, which is supposed to be good for our heart. But there are people that can tolerate it and other people cannot. And so the lifestyle, the diet history, and really reviewing that with a patient and teaching them what they can tolerate and they can't tolerate in addition to the medical regimen is really paramount because we're talking about the real world, so we want to succeed here. So how common is this? How many people in the U.S. suffer from this? Well, we're talking about, you know, large amounts of people, tens of millions of people in terms of the GERD or the, some of the classic type of things. And we're talking about it manifesting differently in children, adolescents, and adults. And again, many patients may have functional issues. They may have hiatal hernia. But the alarm symptoms, again, we need to review those. And those are so very important because they may present to a primary care physician or an ENT or a pulmonary specialist somewhat differently. Typically, the pulmonary docs will see patients with chronic cough, and a variety of respiratory things that sound like asthma. Ear, nose, and throat doctors typically will see patients coming in with hoarseness, 
a feeling that their throat is closing up or they have some type of globus sensation, as well as laryngitis, voice changes, and frequent throat clearing, which is a very important finding with GERD and with LPR as well, but particularly LPR. So I think we're talking about you know tens of millions of people. Acid reflux is becoming one of the most common chronic diseases in adults. It needs to be evaluated by all types of practitioners, and there are a variety of questionnaires and things you can do in the office to make the diagnosis more accurate and easier. Do you use a standard questionnaire then in your practice that you have people fill out? I've been fortunate to have a relationship with Dr. Jamie Kaufman, who is a leader in the field, and actually was one of the people that first coined the term LPR, originally down in Bowman Gray, down in the Carolinas, and she's now here in New York City seeing patients for the professional voice, and she's actually constructed a very nice acid reflux or reflux severity inventory that I use in the practice, looking at RSI, which is reflux severity index, looking at other aspects of it, and the validated questionnaire will actually pinpoint the likelihood of a patient having LPR or not. It's been extremely helpful in my allergy practice here in New York, looking at patients with clearing of the throat, patients thinking they have food allergies, they have laryngeal symptoms, cough, rhinosinusitis, and it's been very instrumental in working together in a coordinated way with otolaryngology, gastroenterology, as well as pulmonary to really get the diagnosis right on the head and come up with some near-term and long-term suggestions as well as required medications for patients and and proper follow-up and continuity of this. This is a chronic problem. This is manifested over the course of weeks, months, and years, and it needs to be solved just like any other medical condition. It is treatable, and that's the great news. So let's clarify then a little bit the respiratory pattern or the cough that you can see with LPR. Tell me a little more about that. Well, certainly to break down in terms of what types of pulmonary things you may see, chronic cough in the United States is obviously a very common complaint. And one of the most common causes of cough, other than the common cold or URI, are post-nasal drip, cough variant type asthma, and this G reflux. And about 20% of patients' cough may be due to more than one thing. And they're popping up these cough clinics and cough centers throughout the country where people coming in with chronic cough are evaluated for multifactorial type triggers. And I think it's just very important to take a step back and take a look at the patient, the history, what's worked in the past, dietary, using questionnaires, and of course, spirometry, laryngoscopy, and a variety of other things that are really important in understanding the role of cough as, as well as other respiratory symptoms in a patient that may have underlying LPR or GERD. So to clarify for some of the providers who are listening, what would be the typical clinical presentation that they should be aware of for somebody with LPR? I think we're looking at the following symptoms, which are really pretty standard in terms of what we typically see. And I would go through them and say hoarseness is a very important one, intermittent hoarseness. What's interesting about LPR is even after a a meal that contains a fair amount of reflux triggers, you can have hoarseness pretty quickly. It really presents itself fairly quickly rather than taking weeks and months to develop. Vocal cord fatigue might be breaking of the voice or vocal fatigue at the end of the day, particularly for somebody that uses their voice a lot. They may not realize that some of this is from LPR. It's not just voice abuse. There's frequent throat clearing. As an allergist in my practice, I see a lot of globus, which is basically a sensation of a lump in the throat, which really gives people the feeling that maybe they ate a food and have a food allergy. Public perception of food allergy is quite high, but in adults, food allergy you know, is in the neighborhood of 3 or 4% or less. So it's a relatively smaller number. Chronic cough, again, nighttime cough, trouble swallowing, bad or bitter taste in the mouth, post-nasal drip, sore throat, and finally heartburn in some patients. So it's important to have a high index of this suspicion because it's so prevalent and becoming more prevalent all the time. And again, making the diagnosis with a variety of things, symptom questionnaire, laryngeal examination with our otolaryngology colleagues, 
therapeutic trial, and there are various paradigms where a patient can be given a PPI or therapeutic trial for a period of up to two or three months, and of course involving the GI specialist. When you're having a lot of GI symptoms, and also esophagitis and LPR can present together, and so it's important to understand when to have an endoscopy and when the endoscopist feels a biopsy is necessary. Obviously, there's increased prevalence of Barrett's esophagus and other things that are related to what you know the topic is at hand today. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Hot Topics in Allergy on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Todd Marr, and joining me to discuss GERD and LPR is Dr. Clifford Bassett, Assistant Clinical Professor of Medicine and Otolaryngology, Long Island College Hospital, Faculty NYU School of Medicine. So, Dr. Bassett, you had mentioned heartburn, and I guess one of the questions I know I've had from patients, they'll tell me, but I don't have heartburn when you're talking to them about LPR. How do you deal with that? Well, I think I have a very nice graphic in the office with lots of pictures looking at what I call silent reflux. People understand that term. They understand, oh, I don't feel it. Okay. And we try and look at some of the physiology. I also share an office with an otolaryngologist who is a pioneer in this field, and he's really working very closely in individuals who have LPR, reflux problems, as well as sleep problems. And frequently, people who have LPR, cough, and sleep problems, may all go, coalesce or go up together. So I think it's important to really understand what examination the patient needs to confirm the diagnosis by history and also empiric treatment as well. And many times a primary care physician will prescribe empiric treatment. And even with myself, I have had reflux for uh, quite a few years. I have immediate benefit from it. There's no question that dietary change is getting rid of uh, caffeine. I mean, some of these patients, if you start asking the right questions, are drinking four, five, six cups of a caffeinated beverages a day. Even tea can induce because of the caffeine compound. And so I think the idea is that we need to focus our history on the patient. We need to look at all of these related systems, how they come together, and this is a disease that's increasing in prevalence, and the allergists and people who deal with the upper airways are seeing this every day, and it's important to coordinate the care and give the patients a sense of what the symptoms are, how they manifest, and when they come in with cough and they really don't seem to understand why the cough is related to LPR or acid reflux, we really take the time to try and talk in basic terms the physiology that's involving it, photographs and pictures to try and explain, get the message out. And the take-home message is almost all patients recover from this. They can perform well and they respond to traditional treatment. So that's the good news. The treatment is really quite effective and really quite excellent. How long does it usually take for a therapeutic trial, though? I mean, do you have to tell them it may take a while? Well, with the dietary changes in terms of avoiding coffee, tea, chocolate, fatty foods, coffee, spicy foods, avoiding alcohol, avoiding eating and drinking, obviously that can be started on day one, and those are really behavioral changes that have to occur. Anti-reflux therapy, and that's sort of like a primary kind of tool, obviously those are lifestyle. Then, obviously, you're talking about proton pump inhibitor therapy, which should be taken 60 minutes prior to a meal, and the clinician may elect to use either QD or BID, and that regimen is often BID, especially if patients have moderate to severe symptoms. Some practitioners will add a H2 block or QHS to control basal acid secretion at night. And so I think, in my estimation, most patients get benefit. Whether they get benefit within the first week or two, many do, and some need to be treated for up to two to three months. And again, the question is when to bring in a GI person for endoscopy and when to you know, have a coordinated approach versus empiric treatment. And a lot of this is really up to the individual practitioner, the patient's history, and really what they've done in the past, especially if they've tried some of these medications before. And like with any pharmacotherapy, some patients respond better to one PPI than another.
So you mentioned basically bringing in a GI specialist or endoscopy. How often do you find positive findings then if you do take that next step? Well, I, I think, again, it's the index of suspicion. I think if it's something that you strongly suspect and the person's got a history and especially lifestyle changes, they're t- using tobacco, they're using a lot of uh, reflux-inducing uh, foods, they're eating meals late, late at night, and they're doing all the things they shouldn't be doing, uh, we need to be aggressive with the PPI therapy, and often it will be an empiric treatment. And many people have looked at PPI and LPR as well as GERD. In most cases, the practitioner will start someone on a PPI twice a day with or without an H2 antagonist. And I typically see a benefit very quickly, but according to the algorithms from the major societies that have treatment guidelines, you know, you may have to give it up to two to three months to really make a decision in terms of if it's working and how well it's working. I typically, again, go back many times over the course of the several months to see whether they need GI or they need endoscopy or they need a biopsy to rule out Barrett's for other symptoms that may be suspicious as well as to be complete and thorough. So you work closely with gastroenterologists. How often do you end up using pH monitoring? pH monitoring I use very little. It is available. It's not a fun procedure to do. It's basically uh, invasive. It's uncomfortable. It's not a routine procedure used in the initial workup of LPR and or GERD but it appears to be at least one of the gold standards for diagnosis if the initial evaluation is either negative or non-confirmatory or additional studies need to be done. And the person having experience doing that can provide very important diagnostics. The other thing that's important about pH monitoring is you can measure acid in the esophagus and the throat. And it is small, it's a flexible tube, and it's something that can be done. And again, people who have experience with it get results that can be correlated, hopefully, with clinical symptoms. So It's not certainly something I'm ordering uh, all the time, and I'm usually uh, collaborating with my otolaryngology and GI colleagues if a procedure needs to be done, and we try and send them to somebody that does it all the time, that has a better technique and makes the patients feel, you know, more comfortable. For the provider listening to have one take-home on LPR, what would you want them to know? I think the importance is to explain to the patient and his other colleagues how LPR can manifest in a variety of ways, both throat, respiratory symptoms, and how it's so very important that lifestyle can actually make a major improvement in this condition. So I find my strategy by empiric treatment, working with the right specialist to get the job done, and following up with the patient on a regular basis makes it a success for everyone. I would like to thank my guest from NYU School of Medicine and Long Island College Hospital, Dr. Clifford Bassett. Dr. Bassett, thank you for being our guest this week on Hot Topics in Allergy. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Hot Topics in Allergy on ReachMD XM160. This show has been presented by the American College of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. For more information on the ACAAI, please visit ACAAI.org. For more information about this or any other show, please visit ReachMD.com, which now features on-demand podcasts. Thank you for listening.